This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer, and welcome to episode 23 of Keep the Faith, my weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. The High Holy Days are upon us. They'll be here in just two weeks, beginning on Friday night, September 18th. Most of us usually head to our synagogues for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but if we're not steady shul-goers, we sit there for what often seems to be an interminably long time, listening to rabbis pontificate and to cantors officiate and being bored silly. So I thought we'd do something different this week. We're going to have a conversation between a Montrealer, Ronnie Lissack, who admittedly attends services very sparingly, mainly on the high holy days, and often in Vermont, where he has a summer home, and rabbi and cantor Eric Wasser, a former Toronto native who succeeded me as rabbi of my former congregation in Fort Lee, New Jersey. So the topic for this week is, how can we make the High Holy Day services more meaningful for everyone? Ronnie, there is one point in the service with the cantor that you actually appreciate above, I think, most others. So why don't you tell us what that is? That point is where the cantor sings Hineni. That is my most respected part of the service, which I guess does in a way make it my favorite. And I appreciate that part the most because my feeling is that the cantor, whoever that person may be, puts his heart and soul into that particular prayer. Certainly more so than many of the other things that he has to recite or sing or anything else. That's the main reason. The sincerity, the depth of feeling, what the cantor seems to draw on when he's singing this prayer appears to me, and it's always been my feeling that it's much deeper than almost any other prayer I've heard a cantor sing, either for the congregation or on behalf of the congregation. Eric, what do you think about that? So, first of all, I, re- I really respect and appreciate what, you, what you're sharing. And I, I would just say that for me, the highlight of the liturgy actually is at a different place. For me, it's always been, and this is going to sound a little ironic, it's towards the end of the service when we chant the Alenu prayer together. Clearly, that's not a space where the Chazan is emboldened to do anything solo. Rather, it's the place where I feel the energy from the congregation. Many of the parishioners are familiar with that prayer. And I always feel like when I sing that, I'm getting so much back from congregation. That's when I really feel that concept of Aleinu Shabeach that it's upon all of us to lift up and praise God. And I sort of feel that. I, I feel that auditorily when they participate and to hear their voices join with mine is a moment that gives me great satisfaction. Eric, why don't you describe both prayers for our listeners who don't know what we're talking about? Hinani is a petition that precedes the Musa service, and it's a prayer that is of great depth, as was noted, and it's often the place where the Chazan is before chanting these long additions to a regular Musa, ostensibly asking permission to stand on behalf of the entire community to bring prayers of the people of Israel before God. 
So one of the prayers that is also in the Musaf, in the Malchuyot section, the section whereby we allude to God's kingship, that's also, it was such a beloved prayer to the Jewish people that it then became placed at the conclusion of each service that we do. And often many of the people are familiar with that because it is repeated three times a day, etc. So those are the two prayers. But it's interesting how this prayer has been taken from the Musaf and placed into each and every prayer service that we join within. And usually sung with gusto by everyone. Yes, and a beautiful concluding sentence, Amar, and we say that God's name will be one and his kingship will be one, which is the ultimate goal of what we want for the world, that people should recognize the oneness of God. If I may just interject for a moment, Rabbi Wasser, I'm just noting that when you mentioned that you most enjoyed Elenu, it dawned on me at that moment that Ineni is the part where the congregation could most appreciate you personally, and you could most appreciate the congregation during Elenu. Beautiful parallel. Well said, Ronnie. I have one bone to pick with Elenu, and that is that after we bow, the congregation seems to insist on continuing singing, and they sing to the tune of the Itsy Bitsy Spider. That's right, but they don't know it, so don't tell them. They don't know. I know they don't know that they're doing it. I, I do sometimes remind them of it, though. Why don't you just leave them in the world that they don't know what they don't know? You're the educated one. Only you could be upset with Elenu in that manner. <laughs> Me, one of, the, one of the masses who don't know what they don't know, would just sing along and be happy, unknowingly. And they are, too. And we're, we're thrilled always when the people are participating in, I think, as Chazanim, that whereas we recognize that there are times for tefillot, for Jewish prayers to be heard, that we want to engage the people who are there in prayer to have them sing along, feel that they're participating, feel that, feeling that it's an active davening, an active prayer service for them. Ronnie, for you, not accustomed to being in a synagogue on every Shabbat or every day, the hours are long. We know what turns you on in the service, but what turns you off in the service? I think the almost routine version or the routine recitation of the prayers, and I'm well aware that the chazan is up at the front and he's singing, but nobody's paying any attention. The congregation seems to be talking amongst themselves, and every now and then it gets to a point where the volume seems to become loud enough that someone seems to decide to bang on the bima or bang on his desk and get a little bit of attention so we can all hear the prayers going on. That lasts for about one and a half to two minutes, and then we resume our conversation and ignore the chazan. So I think there is some of the concept that I try and take seriously when I do show up in synagogue to do my part, which is pay attention. And perhaps if you can't recite or sing what's going on, try and read it. If you can't read specifically the the parts that are being sung, try and read something parallel to that idea or anything of that nature. But basically, if you're going to be in synagogue, you have one job to do that day. 
The other 364 days, or 362 if you're counting Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it would seem that the people who are talking to each other don't have enough time in the other 362 days to get in all the information transfers that they have to get done. So they use those three days as extra time to fill each other in. It would seem that they could actually use the time to read or educate themselves or become aware of what they're actually there for. Eric, when you're leading the service, you're actually facing the congregation. So you're seeing this. How do you feel singing your heart out? How does that make you feel looking at a sea of faces that may not be paying attention to what you're doing? That's a great question. Hopefully, if I'm in the right headspace, and I think that's a little bit what Ronnie was talking about for the worshipers as well as those who are service leaders, that if, if I'm in the he- right headspace spiritually, I've always maintained the position that I don't mind if the quorum is made up 10 people, 100 people, or 1,000 people, that I still am able to recognize that my job is to represent the congregation in prayer and to have a sense of kavanah, of directedness for myself, such that some of what Ronnie's explaining, which is reality, that doesn't necessarily impact what I'm doing. Certainly, I think that's my goal when I am privileged to lead services. That brings us back to Hinnity for a moment, because ostensibly, Hinnity is about the Chazan praying for the congregation on its behalf, even if they're not paying attention. The Chazan is saying that even though I may not be worthy, don't blame them for my sins, but accept my prayers on their behalf. I should just interject here from, uh, again, from the layman's point of view. Since the Chazan is making this prayer on my behalf, one of the reasons I appreciate when it's done well is because it's on my behalf. So it really bodes well for the congregation, and me in particular, if I want to be selfish about it, that the Chazan really has his act together when he's doing this. Eric, can you describe the structure of the High Holy Days services? The real highlight of Rosh Hashanah service certainly is the Musaf service that Ronnie was talking about, the introduction there too. And there are three special sections in that Musaf service that contain 10 sentences, three from the Torah, three from the books of the prophets, and three from the books of the writings, and a 10th sentence that structure each individual section thematically regarding the Malchuyot, the Zichronot, and Shofarot. And each of those sections as well has a little bit of an introduction and then what's called a Chatima, or signature, which reverts back to the theme of these sentences that have been prayed by the Chazan. Just for the record, the Zichronot, the Shofarot, the Malchiot, those are three sections of the part of the Musaf service in which the Shofar is sounded. That is integrated, absolutely. Certainly the Musaf is enhanced by that sounding of the Shofar, reminding us certainly of our identity, our connection to God, and literally a wake-up call for all of us. A great deal of it has to do with the type of synagogue you're in and how the clergy chooses to lead the services. I particularly appreciate the somewhat less structured service of a synagogue that I go to in Vermont. 
the aliyahs are not assigned in advance by the members of the synagogue according possibly to what person may be able to contribute or things of that nature. They're assigned on the basis of anybody who wants to come up because they have a feeling that they were looking forward to achieving something new in the coming year that they were that they had a plan or a project they wanted to achieve. Anyone who feels that, please come up. That's your aliyah. So you could have 20, 30, 40 members of the congregation getting up to assemble around the Bima or the Torah, and they all take part in the Aliyah together, then they go sit down. It's nice because people include themselves if they choose to, and they sit it out if they choose to. And that pretty much encourages more people to involve themselves in some way or another. If you have a choice, you're making that choice. You can choose to sit, and that's just fine. You can choose to come up. And after maybe it could take a year, sometimes it may take some people two years. But when they see it, there's a certain comfort level at being there with the rest of the congregants. People lose that inhibition of standing in front of everyone and they become more a part of everyone. Eric, what participatory things are done in more traditional synagogues? There's a nice custom that I've seen over the last few years that during the Ne'ilah service at the conclusion of Yom Kippur, that often the congregation is invited to come up and stand in front of the ark, which is open during the full Ne'ilah service, and people are invited to come up and stand before the ark and say a couple of words of personal prayer. This is a custom that has become more widespread over the last 10 years or so, and I think one of the nice things about it is that there are people, as Ronnie said, that, that sometimes somebody might not feel comfortable standing in front of the congregation and reciting a formal prayer or a blessing, but to have that opportunity to stand in front of the ark with their loved ones, their family, their spouse, whomever, grandchildren, that that has become something that I've seen more and more in congregations over the years. And I think that's an experience of great participation for people who would otherwise feel somewhat inhibited of going up to the bima, going up to the podium, or, or reciting a prayer. This gives them the chance to be close to the central focus of the ark and the uh, Torah scrolls itself. So I think that's a very beautiful custom to which I've been exposed over the last few years. Nila is the closing service of Yom Kippur. It means closing, the closing of the gates of the temple in the old days. Let's go back to Kal Nidre. Kal Nidre is not part of Yom Kippur. It's not supposed to be recited on Yom Kippur. It's supposed to be recited immediately before Yom Kippur begins. Starting when I was a kid in my Orthodox synagogue on the Lower East Side, I would always see people beginning to cry and beating their breasts while the Chazan or the Baal was davening. And I'm looking at them and trying to figure out what in the world they're talking about. This guy isn't saying anything like that. From your perspective, Eric, what do you think of when you start Kol Nidre? That's a great point that you're making. You know, it's true. We have a colleague, Sam Rosenbaum, Zichrono Livraha, who actually gave a lecture on this many, many years ago. And he made the following statement, which I think in part that you're alluding to, which is that the, the text itself is somewhat archaic and certainly ambiguous and certainly difficult to understand because it's an Aramaic and it's legalese. And he once made this following comment, which I, I still remember to this day. And he said that 
Whereas people would come in and they would be crying at Kol Nidre. And it wouldn't necessarily mean that they understood the words of the prayer. However, he made the argument that it's the entire theme of the high holidays, of the precariousness of life itself, to which can resonate more for all of us these days. And he said the composition of the music is in fact communicating that serendipity. So so if we listen, we say, And those little half tones, what we call in musicianship, those half tones that sort of schlep us from one little place to another, he argued that that is what's communicating the message of the time of year. And that's why people are crying. And again, they're hearing a melody that obviously resonates for them because, as you said, as you, you heard it in your youth and I heard it in my youth, Rami heard it in his youth, etc., that that linkage, right? And the, the ethnomusicologists suggest that that linkage of the sound and that little, the subtlety of the movements that remind us of the subtleties of life. Ronnie, any final thoughts about what you would like to see a synagogue service be like on the High Holy Days? Making people feel part of the community, even though you're not part of the community. I don't live there. I don't know the congregants. Many of the congregants are familiar with each other, but many of the congregants that go to that synagogue, that may be the only time they're going to see each other every year. And so even though it's like a, a wide-ranging group, they all feel the pull of the gravity of the synagogue at that moment, at that time of year, they show up and they'll see each other and they'll be part of this community where they're never part of that community any other time of the year. And then they'll go spread out again. It's somewhat different than the more traditional synagogues where a great deal of congregants, everybody knows everybody else to begin with, which is why they all talk to each other when they get into synagogue. They're all part of the same community, but kind of like the concept of becoming a community that isn't normally a community one day of the year or three days of the year is a very interesting thing. And given the fact that Vermont is not the type of place that has a large Jewish population, it's an interesting thing to see these people come together. Eric, your thoughts about what you would like to see, other than the rabbi who is officiating when you're doing the cantering, keeps his mouth shut so you can do more singing. Well, there are a number of different goals that I ideally would like to see accomplished. I think it's important to have uh, good musicianship. I believe it's important to engage people in our prayers. And I also think it's important for the, the rabbi to create space for people to be reflective and for it to be a makom Torah, to be a place of teaching Torah. Uh, Ronnie had suggested that sometimes it's only a, a few times a year that people might be coming to the synagogue. And that sense of inspiration, I believe, can come from both the rabbi and the chazan, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through musicianship, whether it's through inspiration, whether it's through challenge, but ultimately also for it to be a place to hear words of, of our tradition that, that will uplift an entire community. One thing I just must say before we go, 
Hazan Wasser, Rabbi Wasser, very, very few notes that you sung briefly. I must say, you impressed me. Trust me, if you heard his entire liturgy, that would really be impressive. He is a truly great, great Chazan and a great rabbi and someone that I have extremely great respect for. I truly consider him to be one of the great human beings on this planet, and I wish more people were like him. I appreciate both of you being here. Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to have the opportunity to to share with you and to meet Ronnie and to hear his beautiful and and deep thoughts and uh, to wish all of your listeners a year of health, happiness, blessing, and fulfillment. And may this virus disappear from us so we can all gather again next year in our synagogue, wherever they may be. Amen. As a lay person, I accept your prayers and thank you for them. To both of you, a great, great year to come, 5781, when it comes. And again, I appreciate both of you being here. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmayer. I hope that you found this conversation interesting and even helpful. And I also hope that you come back for my next podcast. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcasts. Go to www.shammai.com www.shammai.org, www.shammai.org, and email me, please. My thanks again to Rabbi and Cantor Eric Wasser and to Ronnie Lissack for their input today. Shabbat Shalom, stay healthy, and stay safe.